Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bible and Banter. I am joined with our uh, favorite co-host, uh, Mike Alex, and we are he- we're waiting for Luke. Luke is supposed to be on. He said about one ten, so we'll see. We'll we'll put him on the clock. Uh, I wish I had a clock. Do we have one? Like, I have one on the bottom right. Oh, you mean to put like on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been, oh. oh, I should have thought about that. But had Luke given us enough heads up, maybe I could have figured that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we're just waiting for, for Luke in a few minutes. But, um, yeah, so before we get into our topic for today, which I already have had a few people reach out. They're pretty excited about what we're going to talk about. Um, don't know how exciting it's going to be. Um, <laughs> hopefully, I will make uh, Mike and Luke cry for being pansies and not joining the military in their country's time of need. Um, but laying that aside, Mike, uh, what's good in the hood, man? What's what's going on in uh, Waterville? Is it Waterville or Waterloo? <laughs> Waterville, although sometimes the how ministry feels makes it feel like Waterloo. <laughs> um, but no, think, think I just got back this morning from a week long vacation with the family, which was good. Um, this, uh, as the kids get older, I'll be honest, the, the vacations seem to be more fun. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. even even though they bicker more, the experiences we can have seem to be more fun. And so, uh, no, it was just an overall good vacation. But as I told one person that I saw in the church this morning when they came back, I was like, a vacation takes you away from life's issues or even ministry issues, but you always come back to them. Like, it doesn't take the, the issues away. Uh-huh. <laughs> so so what did so, you, you guys do on vacation? Um, well, actually, the first night I had a, a church uh, member invite me to join him and uh, some of his family to a trivia night on Monday night. And my wife graciously let me go. Um, and we actually won trivia night. Uh, and uh, that was really fun. Uh, and then the next day we went uh, tent camping, no running water to Baxter State Park at the base of Mount Katahdin mm-hmm. uh, for two nights. Uh, then we came back, dried everything out because it rained for the little bit uh, end of it. Um, uh, our friends who watched our dog, um, brought the dog back and bought us dinner, which was very, very kind and, uh, helpful on uh, Friday. Uh, we decided to try out the, there's a playground slash water public pool, outdoor pool that they just with the new slides and everything that they just renovated over last year. And so the kids have been begging to try it. Um, and so we finally pulled the trigger and went, and it was really nice. And so we did that on Friday, just a little little restful day trip, although we, an hour of it was outside of the big pool because someone decided to introduce a contaminant from their body into the pool. Um, <laughs> oh, man. It, they, they, they released a baby Ruth? Yep. that's why uh, that's why i try to avoid public pools man (laughs) oh that's so gross uh but then uh and then uh saturday we were bullies and and the day was just a hassle of trying to get our kids to uh clean the playroom which was a parenting nightmare but my wife is a champ even even though she doesn't feel like she is 
Um, and then Sunday was just kind of relax, enjoy uh, church from afar. Um, and then we spent some so time. That, wait, 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 hold on. So what's that mean? Enjoy church. We, from we watched, afar. we, we, we joined our, our home church, but via the live stream. Mm. Um, mostly I'm, because I'm, the I'm church, judging you on the inside. Yeah. Mostly because of the way COVID is uh, right now here in Maine. And also the churches that we like to visit, we're doing like special celebrations and so we weren't going to, it wasn't going to be, uh, we, we chose to, to uh, do the things we judge other people for. Um, <laughs> and then uh, what, and then Saturday evening, I can't remember. Uh, it was my wife grocery shopped for the coming week, yada, yada, yada. And then yesterday we went to Funtown Splashtown, but just Funtown. I don't know what Funtown Splashtown is, but so are you on vacation it's a, it's now? No, I'm back into the swing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you, Meredith. Uh, I'm also not kind of kidding, but kind of kidding, sort of, uh, with Mike's comment there. See, I was on vacation last week, and you know what I did on vacation? I came to church on Wednesday and came to church on Sunday. I, I have a rule that if I on my vacation I do not go to my home church the church that I minister in really okay I, I, I will I, and that's not because I don't love my people that's what but I'm hearing. even though I'm on <laughs> even though I'm on vacation they're going to feel the the need even if they fight it to bring issues to me before I'm off vacation mm. um, and so we either take it as time to you know worship and this is again i get three weeks so this is only three sundays a year um you know with the live stream uh we we because of covid i've done that and because other churches have been uh, a bit more closed down or we go to a couple of my local friend pastors churches mm -hmm. um but they were doing special celebrations this year and so didn't want to distract them from that well bigford chair so all three of us were on vacation at the same time uh, and he says that they physically attended. I, I really like how he put physically attended um, another church right. nearby. Well, I, even saying this, I understand that all you Pharisees uh, will judge me for the, <laughs> for the like the the three times a year I don't physically leave, leave my my house um, to to worship somewhere. And even it's not three times a, it's a year. It's maybe one or one at the most two. Um, so. Uh, so, yes, I am just as bad as everybody who goes to church every Sunday now via live stream. So, yes, mm -hmm. please, please, please cast your your judgmental dispersion elite, Christian elitism upon me uh, because I, I uh, happen to cave once or, or twice a year. OK, well, I appreciate <laughs> you giving us permission to do that. <laughs> That's cool, man. That's cool. So fun town splash town. When uh, when I was a kid growing up, we would um, usually Thank every summer Nathaniel. we would vacation up at Old Orchard Beach, um, which was always fun uh, because they had like uh, they had just so much to do, like with the amusement park there and, and all kinds of stuff. But I got to figure out a place kind of like that here in North Carolina because um, it was really fun as a kid. So yep. yeah, yeah. <sighs> 
Mm, okay, just reading Mark's comment. So Thanks. it's one ten. Luke's not here yet. No, he's so not. So we. So does that mean we're we're free to disparage oh. him as well? Sure, but but let's be honest. One ten. I mean, when when even when Luke is here, is he really here? <laughs> that's the that's that remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> so last week uh, we went to the North Carolina Zoo, which is. Um, Oh, hold on. Meredith says, by the way, the ACRC mug has become an ergonomic favorite for me. Uh, yeah, me too, Meredith. I love these these mugs, man. Um, they're great. Yep. And it's like everybody, every pastor in the whole denomination got one, I think. No, I think it was only those who pre-registered for ACGC Triennial. Oh, man, really? Mm. I'm pretty this sure. Is, this, it, this is a top-notch mug. It is nice. I just happen to have a different one in my Keurig, um, but I, I do enjoy this one thoroughly. That's good. Um, yeah, so we went to the North Carolina Zoo last last week, walked around. We love zoos and aquariums and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden about Friday, I was stricken with um, with Achilles tendonitis, which I've had, which I've had off and on for, for a number of years now. So I am I am a lame duck. I am walking around limping all over the place and it has been miserable. So so if I see, if I see more ornery than usual, it's because I'm in a lot of pain. I'm sorry. I, I I do feel, I I do feel bad because physical pain definitely has a impact on your, your emotional state. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and just a word on attending other churches when on vacation, I struggle with that because as a, I, I, I both personally struggle with, um, you know, melancholy, uh, that everybody's better than, uh, us, me, or I get really judgmental. And so I always have to make sure I'm going to another church with a, a, a right mindset. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us, Luke. Uh, even later than you said that you were going to join us. Um, we spent the last 10 minutes just talking trash about you, which I, I assume you believe assumed. Of course. All right. <laughs> All right, Luke. Well, thank you for those words. <laughs> um, so did were you on vacation by any chance last week, Luke? Because it seems like every time I turn around, you're like, hey, man, I'm on vacation. <laughs> uh, if I'm vacation, you mean medical leave. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Things are going well over in uh, uh, Lenore. Uh, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. We actually had a positive, someone test positive for COVID a week bef- a week from Tuesday ago. I don't know how to say this. Two weeks ago from yesterday. And it was someone who'd been in the service on Sunday. So we had to shut things down for like 10 days. And um, there happened to be a family that we'd been in close quarters with. So my wife went and got tested and I got tested. Uh, yeah, it's been an adventure. All negative? Uh, well, I mean, that family definitely got it. They're doing well, but yeah. thankfully no one else seems to have caught it. It was isolated. Well, as Stuart Scott used to say, a negative means a positive. That's good. Never watch There's sports so Center. many inappropriate jokes I want to make. You never, I've not been you on ne- the show in too long. You never, uh, you never watch sports center. No, Stuart no, Scott? I, you're, I understood your reference. 
Okay. All right. Good. All right. So, uh, and to answer my sister, who is Tamer Retallick in the comments, she said, getting old, little brother, I am certainly feeling it. Certainly. <laughs> so, uh, so the last several days, last couple of weeks have been pretty crazy, um, which has, uh, which has caused a lot of, a lot of people having good takes and bad takes all over the place. A lot of people, um, it's really surprising to me how many people are experts in epidemiology at the same time that they're experts in foreign policy. It is, um, it is really impressive the, <laughs> the width of expertise of the average person these uh -huh. days. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's amazing to me. Um, but, uh, but I felt compelled to share some of my, um, uh, I don't, I don't want to say expertise, but at one time I was considered, considered when I was in the army, a subject matter expert. Um, oh, hold on. I need to, I need to, to bring up issue with your felt compelled, uh, because I'm pretty sure that Luke asked you about this topic and you were at first reticent to do it because you didn't want to use bad language. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so so no one compelled you, but you kind of said, okay, maybe I can control myself and I, I would like to talk about this. Yeah, so no it, one it took, you. my initial reaction was mostly cuss words. Um, because <laughs> I have spent I have spent the um, over half of my adult life in the military and, and using cuss words as a means to communicate effectively, and am now um, you know, a church leader where cuss words are not readily accepted as a meaningful form of, of communication. So I have to, you know, set those things aside and, and really work in work on it. And when I consider um, all that's happened in, in recent days following our withdrawal from Afghanistan, um, it almost sets me back into that mindset. So my initial reaction was, uh, you know, probably not so kind things to say, but I've had some some time to uh, reconsider and, and think through some things. And I recently posted an article on Advent Christian Voices talking about the war in Afghanistan and the mix of emotions that a lot of our veterans are are probably feeling. Um, and that's not just American veterans, but that's going to be veterans from all around the world who have served valiantly in Afghanistan. So um, you can go and check that out. It's on, it's on the homepage, literally posted maybe a half hour ago. So um, I was working on it today, but um, yeah. So, so let's talk, let's talk the stand as we used to call it back, back in my day. Um, do you guys know anything about Afghanistan? I know where it is. What? That, that's a good start. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know Russia tried to do something with it one time and it didn't go so well. All right. And that is about the extent of most people's knowledge about Afghanistan, which is why some of their takes are so poor. Uh, <laughs> so uh, not to Afghanistan is just one of those countries that we probably never really studied in school. Like we hardly know anything. Like I remember when I first got deployed to Afghanistan, it took me so long to get a grasp on um on the history, on the culture, uh, really, uh, just honestly, as a young troop who who got deployed there um, shortly after high school, 
I knew nothing about Afghanistan, man. I knew nothing. My training was so insufficient. Um, most of the stuff I learned, I had to learn while I was over there. Afghanistan um, has historically over the last several centuries been um, dominated, has been, has been um, ruled by different dynasties um, that have been prominent throughout the ages. So, so that goes as far as like Genghis Khan had, had run through there at one time. So had Alexander the great, the British empire once took over there in Afghanistan. And it was actually the British empire um, because they were present in Pakistan as well. They're the ones who, who um, divided Pakistan and Afghanistan, like, like set the boundary to where the two countries meet and, and where the difference is. And that is important because even until today, um, that line is is in the middle of certain tribes that that go beyond those borders. So um, so that made at least when we were there very difficult because in a Western mindset we think, hey, here's a line that delineates the difference between say America and Canada. You need a passport to get through there. You have to go through a checkpoint. That's not necessarily the case in Afghanistan where you might have a cousin only three miles across the border where they have running water, they have streetlights, they have all those things and you have nothing. Right. So, so that is a difficult dynamic, but one that was often utilized by the Taliban and other forces to transmit weapons and drugs across the the border because their allegiance was more to their tribe than it was to supporting a a certain country. Um, So then later on, um, after the Brits left, there was a monarchy installed there in Afghanistan. And that monarchy reigned for a few decades until they were overthrown. And then after that, the, um, the Soviets took over in Afghanistan. And um, from there, um, we as the United States, along with a couple of other countries, helped fund the Mujahideen which were freedom fighters that sought to overthrow um, Soviet rule there in Afghanistan. There's actually a movie, Kite Runner. It's very sensitive stuff in there. So if you're squeamish or um, if you're sensitive to sexual assault, that's a movie that I would be concerned for you not to watch, but um, really shows how the country um, went from um, becoming a more modern society back in the, in the seventies to being ruled by the Soviets so then um, the Mujahideen were able to overthrow eventually um, through the support of the United States and some other countries, particularly the CIA helped train many in the Mujahideen. Um, they overthrew the Soviets. And then um, and that was early 90s, late 80s. And then um, about, um, oh goodness, what was the year? I think it was 1995 or 96, the, the Taliban took over. In, in Afghanistan, and they instituted a very fundamentalist uh, view of Islam, where women were unable to wear anything but uh, head-to-toe burqas, headdresses, and uh, were not allowed to be educated, work outside the home, um, very much treated as property. And, and some of these things um, were contrary to a lot of tribal um, beliefs. So there are tribal beliefs that go back centuries that are very important to many in Afghanistan that even go against what the Taliban puts forward. Um, 
So uh, now here we are 20 years after helping what was called the Northern Alliance, which was an alliance of those who sought to overthrow the Taliban. A lot of people that I've seen on social media <laughs> have suggested that Af Afghanistan should fight for their own country. I assure you that they have. They've actually given up more, um, spilt more blood in their own country than we have. Um, yep. pause, pause for a minute. All, all of this is really interesting, but I'm feeling a little bit overloaded. Um, for my sake and the audiences, maybe we could back up for just a moment, and okay. I'm sure you'll fill in more of the history as we go. Um, when we originally went in, what was your understanding of the goal? Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. So I addressed this a little bit in my article, but um, the, originally the goal was to go into Afghanistan um, hunt down Osama bin Laden in the leadership of Al Qaeda now, um, or Al Qaeda, however you want to pronounce it. So, Al Qaeda is not a government organization, they are uh, a terrorist organization. They have some things in common with the Taliban in that they view um, Islam in a, in a similar form. Um, however, the Taliban was a governmental organization, right? They sought to run a country, Al Qaeda did not. Um, so uh, Al-Qaeda was given safe haven by the Taliban government to train, to recruit um, fighters for the purpose of carrying out attacks. And that's exactly what they did. So um, our intent in going into Afghanistan, from my understanding, back in 2001 to when I enlisted, which was 2006, um, was that we were to hunt down... Um, <laughs> uh, that's one of my buddies from uh, from the army. We were not in Afghanistan together. We were in Iraq together. Um, so, so <clears throat> now I'm distracted. Uh, brought him <laughs> he he was a far better analyst than than I ever was. But um, so let me let me tell you why I'm I I would even interrupt you to ask the question is we're okay. we're we're a little bit a little bit out of our wheelhouse today. Me and Mike. Um, <laughs> And obviously the show yeah, is a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when did you graduate high school, Luke? Oh, eight. Oh, wait. What oh, about eight. you, Mike? 2001. Oh, two, 2001. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. So when I say it in my wheelhouse, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I don't know anything because I'm younger. What I mean is. No, it's um, not because you're younger. It's just because. Uh, you're, you're, what I mean is we don't, we don't typically engage in these sorts of uh, discussions of global politics. Your country needs to need you to, you know, keep them safe. This is why we have to add women to the draft, right? Is because, you know, guys like yourself are unwilling to, you know, fight for the red, white, and blue. Uh, <laughs> what I was trying to say was, I know this is a little bit sort of, um, uh, out of character for our show, but there were a couple of reasons I wanted to do this. Uh, the first is we have the privilege of knowing someone who was there on the ground when all this stuff was happening. And just out of sheer curiosity, I sort of had to ask, even if we hadn't done this publicly, I would have asked privately. Um, <clears throat> but I think this has also been an interesting uh, sort of cultural moment. Uh, you, you were talking about people having good takes and bad takes and some people having some knowledge and a lot of people having very little. But I see a lot of the difficulty in this particular cultural moment in that it's not clear, or at least a lot of people think it's not clear um, what the purpose was. Now, that's not to say that the military didn't have a clear purpose. I have no doubt that if you're talking about orders from the top to the bottom, you guys had 
um, there were there were little there was little doubt in your mind what you were doing there. But when you're talking about the average person, you're talking about people who are not getting uh, marching orders from high-ranking officers with lots of intelligence. You're getting people who are turning on the news. You're getting people who are turning on their favorite commentator. You're getting people who are listening to politicians who are spinning things whichever way they need to in a particular election cycle in order to paint themselves or their opponents mm -hmm. in a particular light. So I wanted to ask that question because all that in information and history you're giving is interesting, and I'm sure we'll hear more of it. But I wonder if part of the reason there have been so many bad takes is because um, if you're to sort of take a palette of the you know the average American right now and just ask them a simple question of what were we doing there, you'd get a dozen different answers. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I mean, and that just speaks to you know just where we're at as a society we are very ill-informed even though we have the ability to be informed um because we want people to digest things for us and then tell us what to think um but you know i wasn't finished with what the mission was in afghanistan uh, oh I, yeah and i i didn't i didn't i didn't mean to interrupt again i just wanted to be clear why i was asking the question yeah Carry yeah on. so and so, can i just correct your insult towards luke luke would never allow a woman to enter the draft or anything outside the house. No, no, absolutely um, not. So, do you say anywhere outside the house? Did you really just say that? That is. <laughs> Luke actually has a lot in common with the Taliban. <laughs> um, I kid, I kid. Oh my God. But, um, so, so in addition to hunting down um, Al-Qaeda Al elements, um, Osama bin Laden. It was also, I remember distinctly hearing President Bush, um, who I who I hold dear to my heart. I know he was not perfect. I know that he made some grave errors. How he handled Iraq was a tragedy. But I can't remember a president in my lifetime who, deep, who I think deeply cared about those he sent into combat. But nevertheless, um, the 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 biggest thing to me in Afghanistan or, or the mission that was handed out by, by president Bush was that we were to um, make it so that terrorists, terrorist organizations like Al Qaeda would not have a safe haven again in Afghanistan, which I thought was a valid, I thought was a valid mission. I thought was a valid point to make. Um, and, and I also thought this was me, 18 year old Eric Reynolds. Um, I had read up a little bit about the Taliban. I was by no means an expert. And I read the type of oppression that was happening in that country, the things that were going on. And it deeply disturbed me. And, and I thought that um, I, I thought at that age that because of the situation that the United States was in, as far as its military power, its might, that we had a moral responsibility to, um, if we had the means to alleviate suffering in this world that we should, um, that was my approach. Now that doesn't mean that other people didn't have other approaches. Right. And that's okay. Like that's not a judgment on anybody else, but that's just how I felt. Um, and I still feel that way to a certain extent. So um, to me to see what's going on in Afghanistan now is, is deeply troubling. Uh, it disturbs me greatly. Um, We've we've left tens of thousands of people who um, at, at great risk to themselves aided us in our mission. 
knowing full well that they could go home one night and that the Taliban would come through their village, knock on their, not even knock on their, they might knock on the door, but they would come in, they would rape their wives, they would sell their daughters into um, sex slavery, they would, um, they would kill their boys, they would kill them in gruesome ways. And we got to go home 12 months later. We got to go home and, 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 and not be in danger like that. So, so I had the utmost respect for our trans, for our interpreters, for um, the ANA, the Afghan national army, the Afghan national police, those like, Hey, listen, there are turds out there, right? Like there are people who, who uh, are maybe working for the enemy. They're just doing it for the money. Like th- certainly there's that. But um, most of the people that I came in contact with, um, that wasn't the case. So, um, to see the situation that we're in now and to say, man, we've just, we've fed them to the wolves. Um, it is, it is deeply troubling to me. This is, this is more troubling to me as an American and as a veteran than maybe anything that I've, that I've seen in my lifetime, simply because of that fact, we have turned our back on these people who've been good to us. Not with, there aren't without faults. There aren't without issues. I get that. There are always exceptions, but man, it's, it's not right. It's not right. And like, you think about it, like how amazing is it? Um, Earlier this year, there was an article I've shared it on Facebook, how many were praising um, both president Trump and president Biden for um, what they called bucking the generals. So, so they had received, Hey, we don't think this is a good idea what you're going to do. And, and the commanders in chief at that time said, and commander in chief is, is the president. Um, so we've always had a civilian controlled military. Um, they said, Hey, listen, uh, I'm not going with what the generals uh, have to say. Now, our military has a hand to play with the ineffectiveness of, of the Afghan military and Afghan police. And they, and, and we need to own that. However, um, if you're going to tout the president, um, bucking the recommendation from the generals and it backfires, uh, you got to eat crow at some point, you got to take ownership of it. And, and what I'm really concerned about is what we saw yesterday from the president. And I'm very cautious about being, you know, political or, or anything like that. But there was anything but taking ownership. Um, if we are we are on the world stage, this is it was embarrassing when we saw um, President Obama go around the world when he first became president, apologizing for America. He went on the American apology tour. It was embarrassing when he declared his red line with Syria. And when it was crossed, he did nothing about it. And yesterday was right up there, along with, you know, the Benghazi incident. Um, it was egregious. And what we need to do as as Americans is to um, let our leadership know that this is unacceptable, that they represent us as the American people and that that we owe it to our allies to have their back um, because they had our troops back. Don't tell me that you care about our veterans. Don't tell me that you care about our troops and that those who literally put their life on the line, you're going to leave them out to dry. That's disingenuous. That's what I call plastic patriotism. So um, I'm, I'm curious, Eric, because it's, it's very clear what you think of what we did. What do you see as what we should have done? Is it a permanent installation there? Is it a longer period of exit? Because um, I think this is part of where this issue starts to get messy is I don't know very many people. Maybe there are a few sort of diehard Biden fans who are trying to woot and 
whoop and holler. But I, I think most people, regardless of where they land politically, think that there were some things mishandled in this. But there's a much more sort of fundamental dis disagreement that sort of simmers underneath the surface of this. And it has to do with different philosophies of foreign policy. And so there might be some people who, who would say um, the way that we exited out of Afghanistan was an atrocity, but it's because we should have exited 10 years ago. So I'm curious what you view as sort of the, the what we should have done as opposed to what we did is bad. Um, let's say Eric is uh, in, the, in the seat of the, of the man making the decisions. What is the plan? What is the goal in terms of our presence in Afghanistan. But Eric, before you get there, can I add a, another layer to that? Yeah. That kind of, yeah. You may be able to morph, morph into a response. When, when you're hearing people talk about this and reading, do you find that they confuse the mission in Afghanistan and the mission in Iraq because they were so close together? So not recently. Uh, so not in the last couple of okay. days, but that had been the case for the last 20 years. Um, you know, I do, um, my, for me, I'm still trying to think through all these years later, Iraq. So I want to set that aside, but our mission yeah. in Iraq was very different than the mission in Afghanistan. And I don't think that, that president Bush, again, this is where I'd be critical of president Bush. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a political activist. I'm not someone who, who is, who only criticizes one party. I, I have criticisms for both parties. Um, I thought that that president um, Bush really made the fight in Afghanistan more difficult, maybe even more impossible or closer to impossible when we invaded Iraq. Um, so, so that's, that's a challenge for me, but I'm still trying to think through those things. Yeah. And, and we don't, and I want to be clear. I didn't expect you to even try to touch that today. I feel like we've already got so many landmines we're going to have to navigate with, um, with Afghanistan, no pun intended. Well, do you know? Do you know Afghanistan was the most mined country in the world. What like mined is in landmines because the Soviets put them all over the place. Yeah, when we were at when we were on um, uh, Bagram and and Bagram uh, Air Base or Bagram, um, yeah, Bagram Air Base. When we were there, um, they had sections of the base cordoned off so they, because there were mines there or suspected minefields, so you didn't go out there. And there'd be controlled detonations all the time where they would say, hey, there's going to be a detonation going off. Excuse me. In the whole base, you could hear a big explosion. And the reason they would announce it is that you didn't think there was there was something going on, that, that there was an attack impending. Um, so they would detonate these mines uh, to, to clear to clear things off. So it, it, you would have examples of forward operating bases where they'd have kids or or adults coming in seeking medical attention because a kid had his leg blown off while he was playing soccer in a field. Um, this is, this is Afghan. That is real Afghanistan. So, um, but your question was, what would I have done? Listen, I've been out of the game, man. Last time I was in Afghanistan was 2008, I believe 2007 to 2008. Um, so, so I, and I'm no longer, you know, I was at one time an intelligence analyst, um, so my job essentially is I tell people, if you've ever seen a Jason Bourne movie, I'm the nerd in the background on a computer. Uh, <laughs> I would essentially, you know, you have all kinds of different intelligence gathering disciplines. You have human intelligence, which a lot of people are familiar with. That's when you run sources, you do interrogations and things like that. You have, um, um, you have, uh, 
uh, uh, oh my good signals intelligence where you're intercepting communications and stuff like that. You have imagery intelligence where you see things. There's just, and you, so my role was to compile all of that information and to present to the commander and troops on the ground, a realistic picture of the enemy situation on the battlefield to do things like predictive analysis. Um, a perfect example of this is when I was there, um, I successfully predicted, you know, um, certain things would happen at certain times, which was actually, it sounds cool, but was really easy. could be like, Hey, every second month there, um, there's going to be a grenade attack at the, uh, Indian consulate in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. It just ha it happened. <laughs> like you could look and you could look at the history and go, yep, this always happened then. But what you would do is try and figure out. So what would happen at that time? Right. So why would it be every second Thursday? Why would it be this day? You know, so you try and figure that stuff out and then trace the source and then go after those who are, who are carrying out the attacks. So um, those are the kinds of things that, that I did in Afghanistan. So to, to, to tell you now in 20, you know, uh, how many years is it since 2000 and yeah, no, however, I, I know that's not what you meant, but I'll, I'll say this. There are some common sense things. Um, right. There are some really common sense things I I've read from people who've trained the Afghan nation, national police and Afghan national army. And what those guys are saying that were on the ground, that that was their role. They're like, listen, we totally jacked up the process. One guy, I think it was in the Atlantic or maybe it was somewhere else, was saying, hey, when we were training the Afghan National Police, um, none of us were police officers. None of us were law enforcement. And we've never had experience because in Afghanistan, you're trying to train a national police force. We don't have a national police force in the United States. You're asking us to do something we have no experience doing. That doesn't make sense. Why not utilize the Brits for this type of task? Because the Brits have experience with having a national police force, but we didn't do that. Um, the Afghan National Army, we focused more on um, tactics. We we focused uh, more on 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 training for combat, but we didn't train on how to um, have resupply lines. We didn't train people on how to make sure their soldiers get paid. You want to know why the why the Afghan National Army laid down their arms in the last two weeks? Not even. They're not getting paid, man. Like they're not they, they're not getting paid, and they don't have bullets. What do you want them to fight with, and what for? So you're asking them to put. They have families at home. If they get killed or captured, their family is going to get murdered and raped, or worse. And you're not going to pay them for it. And you're not going to give them the ammunition to do it. Also, you've pulled close air support, which has been supported by the United States military. So the biggest combat multiplier you've had for the last 20 years has been American air superiority. And even then we had a difficult time. But that's what has sustained us with very few troops over the last couple of years. You've pulled that. So why? And you have this well-funded Taliban. Who are they funded by? You can you can guess who they're funded by, but um, it, it's it we have we have no idea we have no idea the cost of this war for what we've paid for it with with American blood, American effort, and American dollars. Whatever we've put into it, the Afghani's who have tried to fight for their freedom, who've partnered with us, have given just as much, if not more. They they have had more die in one year than we've had die in the entire war. 
they've had, I think, I think uh, the recent stat was 66,000 died last year or the year before 66,000. We've had uh, somewhere between two and 3000 die over the last 20 years. So, so when we, when we quip, man, they should just fight for their own country, but shut up. Like, like you have no idea what you're talking about. These, these men, um, and that's mostly what they are. There are some women, but mostly men. They have risked it all. And I guarantee you that most of us, if faced in the cir- same circumstance that they were in, would have laid down arms far sooner. Um, you know, it's interesting you, you say that, like, just when you said, like, you know, they just need to fight for their own country, yada, yada, yada. And then seeing what uh, uh, Maddie Matt has uh, just shared in terms of mm-hmm. the United States having a poor track record. And uh, I remember, you know, there was a guy that, at NIAC that came to guest speak and he talked about missionaries being colonialists and bringing colonialism uh, with them. And, and, you know, we can, we could get into that, but it just makes me think, you know, we always talk about, you know, the American or the United States experiment. Mm-hmm. And we have to understand that we are unique <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and we are really an experiment. And that experiment even is being tested today. Mm-hmm. to this very day i mean we're america's not a success yet right like and how so, like you can't even say that America, we're less well, than, less than 300 years old herman made this observation when he came over to america twice in the not in the in the 20th century it was the 20th right. century, 20th, right. 19th and, century he came and, over and observed all the errors and all the things and he goes wow america's cute they're they're a nice cute country they're trying to figure stuff out and we still are trying to figure uh, it out. I'm, I'm gonna let mike finish and i'm gonna smoke eric for that ridiculous okay. statement because because the reality is, I think Matt's hitting on something is, you know, in, in many ways, you know, missions for a long time in the United States has mimicked what we've tried to do as a country where we try to almost Hellenize, but Americanize wherever we go, mm-hmm. rather than go in, understand the culture and what it might look like to um, really bring what the culture needs in that area. You know, so for example, when I was at Gordon Conwell and taking some missiology uh, studies, just hearing, "All right, you're a missionary, and you go into China or somewhere, and they they deal with ancestral worship. Are you just going to go right in there and just break down everybody's altars in their homes and this, that, and the other thing, or are you going to figure out a way to contextualize, not change the gospel, but work within the systems? And that needs to be." In my thought, again, I'm not an expert. I don't know what that looks like on a military or um, government level, but come in and say, all right, this is the culture we're in. This will fly or won't fly from back home. So how do we adapt? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, well, to that's key, Mike. And where, you know, one of the errors that we've probably made in Afghanistan is trying to um, export American values. And, right. and, 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 and it's the same thing because I've, I've run into that as we talk about missiology and evangelism that, that we're not trying to evangelize Americanism. Right. Right. And, and, and we're not, we shouldn't be trying to export Americanism um, or American values, but American exceptionalism. Right. And, and that's okay. And so when, when that person was talking about colonialism, because I've listened, I've listened and read some stuff about trying to separate colonialism from, from planting churches and, and doing missions work and whatnot, which I think is an important discussion. It's the same thing with in our strategy in fighting wars in a culture that is 
could not be more different than our own culture. And, and one of the things that I would have liked to have seen um, over the last 20 years is greater, uh, greater cultural training for our troops who are going to be working with the Afghan populace. Um, and also I would have liked one, one of the things that I really looking back 2020 um, is that if we were rotating, instead of rotating the units that we were rotating in and out of Afghanistan, if we rotated the same people in and out of Afghanistan. So um, you can spend a year trying to gain the trust of the local populace, but all of a sudden, by the time you gain that trust, you you rip out with somebody else. You're, you are you transition with another unit that's coming in and you're trying to reintroduce your contacts to this person. And that person is going to take another year to gain the trust of the local populace. If you are rotating people, the same people um, to that location. So at that time, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, um, everybody in the, in the United States army was essentially on a rotation of 12 months on 12 months off 12 months deployed 12 months back, which is not good. It's not healthy, but that's what we were doing. Now, if you're going to do it, make it count and rotate the same people to the same location. Now that takes a lot of work by, by the United States army to figure that out. But now, Hey, you know, Habibula, Habibullah can like remembers you from 12 months. That's a real name, Luke. Um, I believe, I believe you. <laughs> so, you know, Habibullah is going to remember you from 12 months ago and now you're going to be able to pick up a lot more where you left off. Yeah. So that's one of the things I would have, I, I, I got, wish I could do different. I got, I got two things to say. First of all, I think I understood the point that Eric was making, but I got to slap him around a little bit for this remark of the United States is not a success yet. Um, says, says, says the guy who thinks uh, Abe Lincoln was one of the worst presidents. Yeah, well, look, I'm when I when I when I talk about the United States as a success, I talk about it realistically, right? So we're a success compared to most nations in the history of the world. The bar is incredibly low. Uh, we have the longest standing constitution in the world, and it's not even close. Now it's starting to look like that constitution might not last not mu you know much longer, and so it could very well be the case that within the next generation or two the country divides or collapses or any other number of things happen. And, and then I guess you could say the country has failed, but I don't know that it means it was a failure. I think that betrays sort of a, a, a really short-term view of history. Countries fail. It's the nature of, of global politics. The question is, did they have a good run? Yeah. And, and the United States had an amazing run of prosperity and exceptionalism. So wh whoever that Babbing fellow is, I, I guess he lived a long time ago, so maybe he was right at the time. But but to try to say that today, well, I think is silly. First off, it, you you probably haven't read Bavink, and if you haven't, that's to your shame. Um, <laughs> two, he makes a great point, and he he pointed out back in um, the late 1800s when he visited our, our our country, he pointed out that the separation of the races and mm -hmm. the racism present in America would be the downfall of the United States because mm -hmm. of how of how difficult it was. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, if we do have a downfall and I pray that we don't, um, you know, certainly racism has been a significant problem for, for our country. Um, and he made that observation back then. Uh, now his country, <laughs> the Netherlands was um, more. Uh, Ethnocentric. Yeah. More, you know, they had, they didn't have, um, as many different ethnicities there, but mm -hmm. um, as we do here, 
anyway, yeah. side the point. My point, my point was this, Luke, is that um, certainly we've had great success in a number of areas in our country, but we are also a relatively young country. Um, especially if you look at, you know, if you uh, compare what we have to to Europe or um, the or Asia or some other countries that have been around for thousands of years. So, um, you know, it's interesting when I lived in Germany, um, you could go into a building that was that was older than our country. And like, there'd be a restaurant there. Right. And there'd be a restaurant that was in the family for 400 years. Like it's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and you just don't see that here in America because we, we haven't been around nearly as long and that's okay. That's just, that's just historical fact. Yeah. I don't, I don't dispute that, but it's interesting that you start talking about, um, history that way because it sort of dovetails into the second point I want to make. Um, you were making a remark earlier about mistakes we've made, what you know, in Afghanistan, approaches we've taken, uh, different sorts of uh, policies. But I think a lot of the disagreements over this particular issue is it's may, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think most of the naysayers when it comes to Afghanistan are trying to say that uh, the military bungled or mishandled it. There's a, I think the disagreement's a whole lot more fundamental, and it goes back to something Matt said earlier. There are some places in the world, and what I'm about to say is going to sound, given cultural situations, it's going to sound xenophobic. I don't mean it that way. Only because of that. Um, <laughs> there are some places in the world where the ideas that we sort of, the, the, the values that we see as fundamental here are not. And I don't think you can realistically transplant our culture and our values in a place that not, not only is just that it's different, but that it, it has a history that's so long and so storied and so rooted, not only in the people, but in the geography and the language. Um, and none of this is to say, I'm not trying to say this from a perspective of like um, American uh, arrogance of we're so much better, people can't be like us. This is just a realistic uh, acknowledgement of, of cultural differences. I don't know that the, the, if the, if, let's say it this way, if the goal was to Americanize Afghanistan, I think we could have been there a hundred years and probably still would have failed in the end. And I don't and, know and what. It shouldn't be that, like, like, so we need to, we need to divorce ourselves from this sense of ethnocentrism, which mm -hmm. is, which is to say our, our values are superior than another culture's values. Our values are our values and we can hold on to our values and that's okay. Not, you know, it, it's not necessary to suggest that one culture is superior to another culture. And mm -hmm. what do I, what do I mean by culture? Right. So I'm not talking about human rights violations. Right. I'm talking about, um, you know, wanting to force people to speak our language, to think the way that we do. It's an Eastern country. They think very differently than Western countries. They have longstanding tribal um, traditions and things like that. We shouldn't be trying to replace those things. Mm -hmm. uh, or even or even your remarks earlier, Eric, which I think were so insightful about the way that they, they view borders. Like for so many of these people, the border is where my ancestral tribal lands end. And just because a couple a couple Western um, empires within the past hundred years have sort of swept through and drawn these lines to to someone who's part of one of those nomadic tribes, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And there's so Afghanistan's such a complex place. Mm 
Um, so, so you think about this is how, <laughs> I mean, really th think about this. Think if you had a crop, right? If you had a crop and, and, um, Luke, you've lived where, where I currently live, which is very agrarian. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'll just use tobacco as an example because my church is, is surrounded by tobacco fields. So imagine a foreign country came into where I'm at and told a local populace, listen, we don't want you to grow tobacco anymore. Um, we know there's other people that might kill you if you stop growing tobacco, but hey, here's some seed to start growing something that's going to yield you far less money. Um, but hey, listen to us. It will be better. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You're not like you're not going to stop growing tobacco. That's mm -hmm. what we tried to do with opium. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like what? Like that? Like they are making so much money off of opium. Um, Afghanistan was the number one producer of opium, um, and, and it might still be. I believe it. It definitely was when I was there. And um, <laughs> you are. We're expecting them to stop to get rid of all the poppy fields. And which the which the Taliban were often using to fund what they were doing. So if you so uh, many, <laughs> many who were abusing opiates and currently still do were helping fund the Taliban. So thank you very much. But um, but do you, but but the more you talk about this, Eric, the more sympathy I have for sort of the wild conspiracy theorists who love to talk about things like the military industrial complex and big pharma I don't think we can, you know, you know, simplify the situation down to American companies had money to make, so we invaded. I think that's a wild oversimplification and and quite insulting to many of the people who fought in those wars. But when you talk about Afghanistan as a complicated place, the more you talk about it, the more complicated it seems to get, not just for Afghanistan, but for the United States and our involvement. Well, here's the, here's the thing. We don't, Americans do not deal well with complex things. Hmm. We bifurcate too easily, which means we pit things. It's, 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 it's either this or it's either that. And it's far more nuanced than that. And you have, um, here's in, in the military, you have um, those general, you know, generals bounce from place to place every two or three years, right? So you have someone who's overseeing the war effort in Afghanistan. They have a certain plan where they're only going to be there for 24 months. And then what? a new they general. Do, they do the Methodist thing with, with military <laughs> that's generals? How the, that's how you, that's how you, you get promoted, man. Like you, like that's how you get promoted. So you have to get time at different locations. So they're going to put someone who they believe is really capable to oversee the war in Afghanistan, but then they're going to move on in two years. And, and then that general is going to come in and they're going to have their own, uh, they're going to have their own strategy, right? Which they probably pitched to the president and the brass over the, the Pentagon. This is what we're going to do. And they go, Oh, wow, that looks great. And it looks good on their evaluation reports. And then they get and then they get promoted. You know, and that sounds like when pastors just change churches every one or two years. It kind of sounds like we can blame all of this on the Methodists. <laughs> Shut up, Luke. <laughs> um, so 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 Afghanistan is a very complex place right and you have to have a long game in mind you have to have a so really we we weren't prepared to go into afghanistan in 2001 we didn't have a grasp on on their culture um we had some people that had operated within afghanistan simply because of our work with you know through the cia and in helping with the mujahideen 
um, overthrow the Soviets, but not nearly as many as we do now. So I think, I think it would have been good for people to sit back and go, wait, how, what, what are our errors right now? How can we really help this thing sustain more than just political talking points? Um, you know, every president after president Bush, what did they run on? We're getting out of Iraq. We're getting out of Afghanistan. Well, it finally happened. And we can see how poorly that was executed against the advice of those who had been literally dealing with this war for the last 20 years. Um, but, but, I, but I think in some ways, Eric, this is one of the unfortunate realities of the United States as it is today. It's so massive. And you have such giant cultural differences between states. Um, we have so much diversity and a, a huge number of ways. I don't think it's sustainable to engage in long-term warfare anymore politically because you cannot keep the attention of the public long enough to accomplish long-term goals. And, and when you talk about, uh, you know, political leader, look, I, I try not to be openly political on the show, but it's probably not a surprise to anyone that I'm not a huge fan of Biden. Um, and I'm sure there are decisions that he made in this situation that were bad. But I also feel like he, in this case, he was put in a situation where any president is in a bad spot politically. Uh, the American people basically gave up on this war 10 years ago. Uh, and at, at any point, no matter when we left or how we left, there I, I don't think there was a long-term way forward. I don't think you can wage long-term war in the age of modern mass media. The, well, we, just, we just waged a, a long-term war. In spite, of, in spite of, in spite of the media, right? And, but for the past ten years, American apathy. But for the past ten years, it's been totally devoid of a, of, a, of popular support. Well, totally it, devoid. It, listen, neither war was ever popular for longer than for longer than a couple months, and and this is Americans have not cared about Afghanistan since two thousand since two thousand one. We just haven't, and. Um, and in large part, that's because of how few Americans have truly borne the brunt of this war. Mm -hmm. um, the last the last few years, we've had less than 3000 uh, troops in Afghanistan. It's cost us far less money than it had in years past. Um, and it's been able to stave off a Taliban takeover. Um, to me, that's a fairly good uh, investment. When, when you consider when you consider how few people have been affected in Af you know I, I think of of friends of mine that I've met through the VFW, through the American Legion, those who came before me, who fought in Vietnam, Korea, World War II. They even those who who didn't serve during that time but lived during that time. They all had a close family member who served. They all know someone who either died or got maimed. Very few Americans can say the same thing today. Um, the, the Afghanistan was a distant thought for most people. Um, our veterans, our military community, these wars have been used to play political football for 18 years, 19 years. And it is really disingenuous for a lot of people to be up in arms about what's going on when they have 
really just had this on the back burner for, for that amount of time. Well, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's totally accurate. I mean, your, your remark that we haven't cared about Afghanistan in 18 years is just a fact, but I think for a lot of Americans, the Middle East is a blob and the Middle East has been very much present in the American consciousness, at least every four years, probably every election since 2000. I, I would say I, if it's been in our consciousness, it's only been because we've not wanted those evil Muslims to come over here. That's what it's been. That, at least that's what I've observed. I don't know. I mean, that 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 seems to be sort of ignoring the whole the whole crisis with ISIS. That didn't I didn't mean to rhyme there. I wasn't trying to rap uh, the, the whole crisis with ISIS um, back in the early 2010s. I mean, that was all over the news. Everyone knew what was going or at least they thought they knew what was going on there. Uh, I, I don't know that it's the case that people just haven't cared about what's going on in the Middle East. I think it's probably much more the case that the Middle East is one big blob. And anytime that anything happens, we just sort of conflate it with the last thing that happened over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, man, I disagree. I think for the most part, people just, they want to have an opinion on something. Um, so then they see, they, they only cared because it popped up on Fox news on, or MSNBC. And if they were um, a Republican and a Democrat was in was in power. They were critical of the president. Um, y- y- you know, it, it is amazing to me. Eric, am- you you seem to be suggesting that politicians take different views on wars based on what's politically expedient for them. That's that, exactly. What an accusation. <laughs> Reynolds twenty 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 four or whatever. Um, listen, man, and and one of the problems someone wrote this. Someone wrote this. You know who's someone who I who I disagree with greatly politically, but who I respect um, considerably is is Angela Merkel, who's the the now former uh, prime minister or chancellor of Germany. Um, I lived there uh, shortly after she had become um, uh, the chancellor there. Um, she genuinely like not a lawyer, not like a huge politician. She was a scientist. Like she genuinely cared about what doing what was right in Germany. Right. Um, you know, maybe I'm too cynical. Um, maybe, maybe that's the case. And, and listen, I'm willing to be corrected, man. There are very, there are very few politicians that I think actually care about doing what's right for, um, the people of this country. And, and the people that do care about doing right by our country are, are usually not the ones who are in Washington. I don't, so, I don't, I don't know how you can be so cynical given the, the, you know, the great efforts made by people like Cuomo over the past couple of years. What could hey, possibly have that made is you? such low hanging fruit. That is such low hanging fruit. Luke, think about it. The people that the people that we elect are often the most bombastic and not the most thoughtful. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I like I like where Matt's taking this because we're an hour in, Eric. I'm sure I'm sure we could do another hour with you on this, but probably for the sake of uh, time and our reputations, we should we should start to diverge here because I think we could for the last few minutes, if you guys are willing, have a bit more of sort of a, a, a traditional B and B conversation about this. Matt says, uh, going on Luke's point and back to AC doctrine. How should Christian Americans handle their countries fighting abroad in wars that are morally ambiguous? And we don't have to try to open the whole can of worms, but it might be good before we wrap. Wait, this is up. my is my is is Matt 
trying to insinuate that that Afghanistan's a morally ambiguous war. Well, hang on, we're, or just hang all on. war is morally ambiguous. We're 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 gonna we're gonna get into that in just a moment. I think it'd be good, and then give Mike a chance to jump in before we have to close out the show. It might be good for us to give sort of a a, a quick nod to the fact that this issue of how are Christians to understand war is something that's been wrestled with in the church for, you know, about 2000 years. Um, and we appreciate Eric sharing his experience and his views on this, but we certainly don't want our audience to think um, that we're under any illusions that his views are the only ones that a, a Christian could hold in good conscience. Um, so I think it, this would be a good way to sort of turn the, the show just a little bit before we try to find a closing. Mike, if you don't mind, I'd love to start with you. I, I don't want you to try to lay out your whole sort of philosophy of uh, war, but maybe you could just make a remark on what Matt's saying about, hey, this raises some interesting questions about, well, if I'm someone who claims to follow Jesus, to uh, believe the Bible, how should I understand something as complicated as foreign policy? Right. Well, first of all, uh, just on a human level, <laughs> I think I love and I hate that the United States does not compel um, military um, service. Uh, I really think we could all stand to learn a lot by being compelled to at least serve one. Or, I think in Greece, you have to serve, at, and I think Israel even, you have to serve at least a year in the military uh, if you're a citizen, period. Which, But at the same time, freedom! You know, don't tell me what to do. So, so I'm, I'm like conflicted. It's like a big, like lightning storm in my, where two worlds are coming and just clashing. Uh, but, you know, you know, because I'm so learned um, and smart and just, just awesome all around. Um, I, uh, I love how he turned this answer into a compliment for himself. <laughs> um, honestly, Wait, what, I does really... ID, what does IDF stand for? Because I'm thinking indirect fire. On the pro intellectual dark. No, it's not that. I'm thinking IDF has. has... Yeah. Israeli defense force. Yes, oh, Israeli defense okay, force. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But carry um, on, Mike. So, yeah. So, so I, I, I generally lean hard into just war theory um you, and that's a hard bar to to meet if you really read through it um but I, I kind of just go with what i believe the intention of our military is to protect our citizens from from enemies domestic and foreign um and so not that we have to be the world's from... oh, oh that was weird did you hear that yeah yeah don't worry about it oh that was okay. e-dog what are you doing <laughs> um so that doesn't mean we need to be world's police, get it? But you know, we do need to keep a monitoring of of what's happening in other countries, and if we see a real legitimate threat, try to handle first with diplomacy, but then d depending on the situation by force, um, any threats. But at the same time, I also see that we are supposed to be a country that welcomes the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized of other countries. I mean, it's right there on our Statue of Liberty. Which, by the way, I think I just saw someone comment on social media on someone else's post about some religious meaning, like prophetic meaning to the Statue of Liberty, which I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with people? But anyway, um, the, the reality that we do at the same time for especially our allies 
be concerned about the welfare of our human brethren. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Matt, my, I would, I would agree with potentially the UN's original uh, intent, but again, uh, and I was just saying this uh, originally that uh, I really sometimes wonder how um, opposed human governments really are behind the scenes because I really feel like by now China would have called in our debts if they were actually going to do that. <laughs> and I, I honestly think even global politics is posturing. Um, and I think if we're really into that one world government, you know, prophetic stuff, we're probably already there. We just don't realize it. Um, and so, but in general, I would agree in general, we, war is not good. Okay, hmm. but it can serve a good purpose. Hmm. Um, and so I generally would say we need to try to avoid physical altercation war as much as we can. But there are times when you may be dragged into coming to the physical aid of, of fellow humans. But I also believe that you can make a, a good and fairly strong case for pacifism. And so no Christian should ever be forced, especially by their church or pastor uh, to, uh, to engage in conflict, um, hmm. public conflict. So, so I will, I will publicly rebuke, rebuke Eric for forming the first ba battalion of Hickory Grove. When they, when they decide to, to listen, I storm listen, the, the Supreme not, Court when they when the liberals pack it in the next listen, few months. Hickory Grove is the safest place to be. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't no Taliban overtaking this. This I, I, I don't. I don't know. I know that your church is larger than mine, but in terms of percentage, I'm pretty sure that my concealed carry percentage is higher than yours. We it's, oh, the first oh. the first time the it, first time that someone in my church started pointing out to me the number of men that he knew were carrying on the sunday morning i was shocked welcome to I... welcome to let me just say welcome to north carolina because here at blessed hope we have some concealed carry but it is by far not not a heavily uh a heavy thing and i think that's just by nature even though we have a lot of hunting it's a very blue blue state uh, uh eric i want to i want to be able to give you the last word on this so let me just sort of uh, share my my take on uh, you know, understanding of war and in, in light of God's law and things like that. And then, well, I think it'd be good to let you close. Um, Cause if Mike's view on it is different than yours, mine's going to be pretty close to polar opposite. Uh, I, I will just be straightforward with you guys. I have at times toyed with pacifism. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I know and this is going to give Eric uh, conniption. Um, I don't think it's necessary for uh, you know a Christian to take that view. I certainly don't think that government should take that view. And I, we could get into someday biblical reasons for that. But just on a personal level, you know, I've toyed with that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I've ever landed there firmly. I'm probably not there now. But but I have. I have sort of run in those circles. Um, in terms of what is appropriate for a government to do, I definitely am pretty close to Mike in terms of just war. There needs to be clear moral justification. Um, Eric, you know, Eric, it's interesting. You were saying earlier how you don't want to be cynical. I would say that I've been cynical probably 
at least 10 or 15 years longer than you. And I'm, I'm you're far too long. Uh, you're uh, far too young to say something. Like I'm just, sus- I'm suspicious. You're, you're, you're not I'm even just, 30. Are you? I'm not just suspicious. Yeah, dude, I was suspicious at like 12 a year after the towers <laughs> went down. I was like, wait, something's wrong here. Uh, no, I just, I, 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 I see, I see some of the complications and possible mixed motives and I, I don't want to be the ones sitting up here pretending I understand it all, but I, I'm also, I don't want to just give the benefit of the doubt to people who could potentially be making lots and lots of money off of, um, you know, r- rather, rather atrocious things. Uh, before I say one more thing on the matter, I want to say this. Uh, I do not, I do not feel that people who have served in our military bear responsibility for the decisions of, um, politicians in Washington. So I don't look at, you know, an Eric Reynolds or any other number of people who might might be here in the comments who have served. I don't see them as, as you know, bearing guilt for decisions that people in Washington make. With that said, um, I'm very, very skeptical of most uh, United States military action, probably in the past 60 years. Um, and I, and I, I, it would be difficult to convince me I'm not talking about specifically about Afghanistan. I think Afghanistan might be one of the clear exceptions because of what happened um, in New York on September 11th. But most of U.S. military action in the last 60 years, I'm, I'm extremely skeptical of. I don't think it remotely meets the standards of just war laid out by Augustine over 1,600 years ago. All right, Eric, take us home. Okay, now that I have the next 20 minutes <laughs> uninterrupted. There are, there are a few things I want to close with, so so please bear with me, and I and I assure you that it'll be worth your worth your time. Um, <laughs> nearly twenty years ago, nearly twenty years ago, um, we were attacked. We were attacked by Al Qaeda. They were given safe haven by uh, the Taliban in Afghanistan. For the last twenty years, we've not had a terrorist attack on American soil by a foreign actor of that kind. There have been attempts but they've been thwarted. Um, It's my belief that we have um, succeeded on that aspect of our mission for the last 20 years. And um, I want to encourage my, my brothers and my sisters in uniform who have um, given up much of their life over the last 20 years. um, Many of whom, uh, daily wrestle with the wounds of war, whether they be physical, um, psychological, or emotional. Um, I have the privilege of serving um, currently with, uh, by, through the hockey program that I talk about all the time with a number of disabled vets, who many of whom have gone to combat, um, some of which have been injured in combat, uh, some of which um, still wrestle with uh, the wounds uh, the toll that it takes psychologically, including myself. Um, and they will probably for the rest of their lives. Um, I think of, of, I mentioned a couple of names in the article that I posted today on Advent Christian voices. Um, I think of, of Sergeant Connolly, who was a medic with the 173rd airborne brigade with whom I was deployed with from 2007 to eight. Um, they were clearing a minefield and he was the driver of a Humvee that ran over a mine and died. His wife, um, had given birth just before he deployed. 
Um, I think of Specialist Hennigan, who was posthumously uh, promoted to sergeants who died in a firefight shot uh, just under his body armor um, in the rotation right after that one, someone who I knew well in Germany, um, who was 20 years old. These are, are men who, regardless of our motivation to um, go to war, whose families are left without a father, without a son, without a husband, um, we need to understand that as we have these conversations, um, these are the people who have made an incredible sacrifice, these families, uh, these men and women. And we need to keep in mind the respect that we should have for those who have given their lives and who currently still, um, there are people every day, veterans every day, who um, commit suicide or who think about suicide uh, because they can no longer bear um, the, the, with the guilt or the shame or um, the difficult memories that they might have from when, um, when they served. So this is a very real thing for me. Um, and, and I think for most people, because they don't reflect on that because they don't know a lot of veterans, they don't realize that. Um, when we talk about these things, it is life and death for many people. Um, all that to say that we, as the church bear a responsibility, uh, we bear a responsibility for those who are in our community, who are fighting these battles every single day. Um, many of whom could be missing limbs, missing eyesight, or could be um, emotionally or psychologically challenged based on these experiences. So keep that in mind and look for ways to um, not fix people, but to just love people, love people who have gone through this. Um, with that said, um, I wanted to share a video. I got it pulled up and um, this is actually a, a about a three minute video um, that was shot in Afghanistan um, while I was there by one of our sister units. Uh, each unit has its own song. Uh, they have a song and, and ours was written, I think, in the 60s. Um, this one was uh, readapted. It was adapted for um, our deployment when we were in Afghanistan. Um, and I just think it, it it's special to me. It's something that I have listened to um, every so often, every couple of years. And it helps remind me of, of the sacrifice that many of um, my brothers and sisters from the 173rd Airborne um, what, what, what we made. So I'm just going to share this uh, here in a second. Can't really hear it. I don't know if you guys can hear it. Can you hear it's it at all? Low. Like I can hear a little bit of a whisper.
Hey, Eric, you may have to, if you can, you may have to post a link. I don't know about Mike, but I'm still not hearing much I, of anything. You're not hearing it at all? Eric, when you did share screen, did you do share audio as well? Did you click that box? Let's see. Hold on. Um, let me see. Share. Share screen. And then down at the bottom, it should say, there should be a box oh, that says, share there we audio. go. There we go. All right. Let me know if this is good. Our free version. Much better already. Much better. 80,000 years ago. And uh, tribute to all the uh, soldiers out in Congal, all around Afghanistan, and uh, those who have fallen. Specifically to the uh, 503rd and uh, Charlie Max that supporting the 503rd. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard? A girl holds her daddy's hand as a tear runs down his face. They'll be together again another time, another place. With tears in their eyes as their soldiers load the bus. They let out their cries, rock to do what we must. With boots on the ground and dirt on our face. We'll defend your freedom any time, any place. Have you heard of the 173rd?
Thanks for bearing with me, guys. Um, if you want to know more, uh, I share uh, this in my at the bottom of my article. But um, there are a couple of documentaries you can watch on Netflix called Restrepo and um, and Korengal, which uh, are about the that unit in particular when we were in Afghanistan. It it has sensitive things, um, some sensitive language as well. So if that's if that's a, a trigger or something that would be upsetting for you, I encourage you not to watch it. But if you want to know what war is like, um, if you want to know the cost of war and and um, what it's like, that's 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 the place to go. So God bless you guys. Thank you for bearing with us. And um, may God bless America as well as Afghanistan. <laughs>